Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, have Spotify, and now on YouTube. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Appreciate you. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review on the podcast apps. Subscribe, hit the notification button on the YouTube. But now it's time to talk about some exciting March Madness stuff coming up. We did picks for football all year long, and we had a lot of fun. And we ended up above 500. Just a couple games, but above 500. Now... Maybe the brackets might be busted and maybe your final four is ripped apart and you only got one or two teams left. That doesn't mean you still can't have fun betting on these games going into the Sweet 16 weekend and beyond. So what we're going to do here is talk about my favorite picks for Thursday and Friday's action right here in March Madness. I got uh, three picks for you guys that I really, really like. And so far, so good for your boy in the March Madness betting. Maybe not as much on the bracket front, right? But you get spread, you get a little more wiggle room to try to make the right pick, even if you don't pick the winner, if you like an underdog, you know how betting works, right? So we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. We'll also get into uh, Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins and Tua and what's going to go on there in another video on YouTube and on the podcast. Just hang tight. We'll get there in a minute. But first, let's hear from a friend that's called DraftKings. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. I was just talking about spreads and picking an underdog with the points, whatever. That doesn't matter here. You just put $5 on any team to win. doesn't matter the spread. And you win $200 in free bets. It's a no-brainer to give it a go and bet on your favorite team. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers and track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any College Hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So now we get into our best bets. And when you do that, you have to kind of recap what happened. See the performances that you think are sticking points that mean something going into the next round, right? Because sometimes you can see a team dominate the round before. You're feeling the heat. You think they're making a momentous move and they show up flat the next round. A lot of it has to do with matchups, who they're facing, how they matched up, and what me- what it means for the next round moving forward and their future matchups, right? And that's why I want to start here with Houston playing Arizona. Currently a one-and-a-half spread in favor of Arizona. And if you watched Houston play their last game against Illinois, you might feel like they are a completely dominant team while Arizona had to go into overtime to take down TCU. But here's why I love Arizona this week. Minus one and a half. If you want to lay the little juice here just to, you know, get rid of the dramatics and take them at minus 130, I'm for that as well. But this is why I love Arizona. First and foremost, 
Brandon Matherin. I'm sorry, Benedict Matherin, my favorite player in, in, in the freaking March Madness. I don't even know his name. Benedict Matherin is a dude. He's a top 10, I think perhaps top five projected lottery pick in this upcoming draft. He's a sophomore who's long, tenacious, got touch, and can shoot. Now, if you watch the last game, you might say uh, he can shoot. Perhaps not because he didn't shoot very well from three, nor did the entire Arizona team, right? Matherin was just three of 11 from three in that game. Their, their big guy, uh, Carissa, who's off the bench, sharpshooter, went one of 10 from three. Those were huge uh, reasons why they struggled to defeat TCU. Meanwhile, they were playing tenacious defense and offense, attacking the boards. They got a big guy in Coloco who is an absolute savage and going to dominate Houston down low on the boards. Not saying he's going to put up 28 like he did against TCU, but when you saw Kofi Coburn get attacked by Houston and they shut him down and made it really hard for him to work towards that 19 points, that's not going to fly with this Arizona attack. A lot of people knew about this Illinois team being a one-man show, that they went as far as Kofi Coburn could bring them. And I thought Coburn was a fantastic college player. I don't see him being an elite-level athlete, an elite-level game-changer at the next level. You look at Brandon uh, Benedict, I keep calling him Brandon. What is up with that? Benedict Matherin, he's an elite-level game-changer right now in college and I think projects to be a legitimate star player in the NBA. You mix that in with a sharpshooter off the bench, a nice solid court, uh, quarterback really of the offense in Terry, who's the point guard there. Matherin can kind of run point as well. And Coloco, I think it's going to be much more difficult for Houston here to shut down one person because they have multiple ways of attacking. I mean, look at this box score here. They had two guys nearly combined for 60 points. Kofi Coburn was a one-man show, couldn't even get to 20 because Houston was able to hone in and shut him down. On the Houston front, they're an athletic team. They're a good team. That's the reason why this spread is just one and a half. But what you get out of dominating an Illinois team, you might say is confidence. I say it's a little bit of they're going to meet a rude awakening when they reach a more rounded team who shot like crap in the round before, likely to regress to the mean and shoot the ball better in the following round. Houston's good. Arizona's better. And they will have the best player on the court in Benedict Matherin. I'll take them minus one and a half money line as well. On to my next pick. I'm going to go with a little two-game money line parlay here. And part of this is because it's really good value. And the other part of it is because I don't really trust the numbers here. So Kansas is taking on Providence. It's currently at eight points in favor of Kansas. And Villanova is taking on Michigan. They're currently five-point favorites over Michigan. Villanova and Kansas, to me, are two of the most solid, well-rounded teams in this entire bracket. They're teams that don't make a ton of mistakes. They play hardcore defense, and they play at their own pace. Now, does the five points and the eight points scare me? Absolutely. It does, right? And that's why you money line parlay it and you end up with minus 112 odds. You got minus 225 for Villanova, minus 320 for Kansas. Yeah, it's a little annoying to wait for the Thursday, Friday, but this is a cash in bet here. Connor Gillespie for Villanova is an extremely well-rounded tournament player. He has experience and he has what it takes to lead this Villanova team to the next level. Kansas, on the other hand, they are a team that I think is just so solid. Ajabi is a great player. 
And Providence, on the flip side, similar to what I talked about with Houston, I think they're coming off a game where they're, they might be feeling confident, but I think it might be a false sense of confident, confidence. Providence completely outclassed Richmond in that second round matchup. Completely outclassed them. It wasn't particularly close. I think when they walk in and see Kansas, they might be feeling good off the rip. They might have some good players. They might have Horschler who can let it fly. But Kansas is not going to make it easy on Providence. They're going to make it much more difficult to find those open shots. They're not going to dominate the glass like they did against Richmond. And all in all, Kansas is just a more well-rounded team. I know Bill Self and the Jayhawks have their woes in the tournament, not going quite as far as you would hope if you have them in your bracket on a year-to-year basis. But this feels like one of those years where they can just chip away, play solid ball, and it's going to work out because they're not running into a buzzsaw. They're not running into some sort of stellar athlete, some sort of next-level prospect that's going to cut them off at the knees. They're going to be able to swallow up this Providence attack And when you watch them against uh, Richmond, they're getting open jumpers. They're getting inside. They are attacking on all cylinders. Not going to fly against a well-rounded defensive team with Kansas. It's not going to work out. So you get those two money lines. You get minus 112 odds. Now you hit on Arizona. Now you hit on the two-day money line parlay, and you're feeling good about yourself. And then what comes up from there? You got another game that I seem to like a lot here, and it was one that Initially, I kind of felt a certain type of way about Iowa State. Iowa State is currently plus two against the University of Miami. And I, I, I love this guy. Uh, uh, what, how do you say his name? Colshore for Iowa State. Now, i never seen him play until the tournament. And this guy is a dude who can get to his spot. He's money from the mid-range. He only took four threes and hit one. Both of these teams shot like crap. Both of them were terrible. They combined for five threes in the last round where they both had solidly convincing wins. But Iowa State, they played really good defense. Similarly to Houston, however, I think when you look at Wisconsin, yeah, they had Davidson making some nice plays uh, from the perimeter. They had some nice passes inside with their bigs doing some good work. But we all know it's about Jordan Davis when it talks about Wisconsin. And they made it really hard on him. 17 points on 16 shots for Davis and Johnny Davis. I'm sorry. That is the type of thing where Iowa state was able to hone in on the guy. They knew they could not let beat him just like Kofi Coburn. They shut him down. He only had one more point than he did shots four of 16 for 17 points. It's not an efficient day. And that's because there's athletes on Iowa state. That's because they had a good attack to make his life hard, make all of his uh, inside shots contested. And all in all, they played a well-rounded game on offense and defense. But you look over at this Miami team and you watch what they did and the well-roundedness on on their program there. They got four dudes in double digits from their starting lineup. And they have a guy who can go toe-to-toe with Kosher. This guy, McGusty, is a real deal player. He gets inside. He was 0 for 5 from 3 in his own right. So him and Kosher both shot like crap. Again, Both of these teams shot like crap from deep. But I think when I watched Iowa State and I said, wow, they're getting to their spots, nice mid-range games, good inside passes, some nice big play. Miami does that times two because they have more guys who can do it, more guys who can get inside and finish and pass and kick. Will the shooting turn around for either team? I, I would expect so. I don't think that throughout this tournament, teams like that are going to shoot that poorly. 
I mean, Miami was 20% from three. That's not going to happen again. A team that shoots better uh, consistently, they're going to do more than three of 15 from three. And, and it wasn't just McGusty. It was Miller, the big man. It was Wong who was bobbing and weaving, carving up the defense, getting inside, throwing down a nasty dunk on Jabari Smith. And you might say, Pete, yeah, they had a cut down. Davis uh, did Iowa State. Maybe they just had a cut down Jabari Smith. You can argue that. You can argue that Miami had a similar, uh, basically, task at hand that they had to go for. But Auburn is a team that's a little bit more well-rounded. They do have some good players uh, outside of Jabari Smith, and they made Jabari Smith's life hell. Worse than Johnny Davis for, for, uh, for Wisconsin as Iowa State attacked him. He was 3-for-16 on 10 points. So I think the combination of the more well-rounded offensive attack for Miami and their ability to shut down a guy like Kolscher as they showed they did with Jabari Smith. I think that's the combination for success here. I think Miami minus two is the bet, and that's what you go with. So those are my three picks. To recap, we got Arizona minus one and a half, led by my guy, Benedict Metherin. And then we got the money line parlay, Villanova and Kansas, two nice favorites who we really do like, who are solid, well-rounded, defensive-minded teams who play at their own pace, don't get moved around, will dominate the boards, and will run into teams that breeze a little bit too easy to this next round. And they'll have a rude awakening, Will Michigan and Houston, when they run into Villanova and Kansas. Last but not least, we go with Miami, minus two against, um, wow, how about that? Iowa State, there we go. And uh, last but not least, St. Peter's, man, what a freaking story for St. Peter's. Shout out to St. Peter's College. Man, I live down the block. I'm right here. Who would have saw this coming? But I will say this. Beware of the two-seed run. I'm sorry, the 15-seed run after beating a two-seed. Beware of the Cinderella story because it ends. People don't want to hear this. But when you think about the Cinderella's in the tournament year over year, the 15 seed, the 14 seed, the 12, the 11, these teams that make a run usually run out of steam. So St. Peter's has been a fantastic story. I don't think they're going to roll over and get smoked out here by uh, Purdue. But if you're out here saying, oh, Peter's money line all day, every day, be careful because... These seeds are are low for a reason. And this is still a 12-point spread for a reason. I would much more incline you to take the 12 points and sprinkle the money line than just be like, Peter's money line, book it, it's over. They're going on a run. My my white boy (laughs) from St. Peter's is going to go off and that's going to be that, right? Like that, I hate to tell you this, Cinderella stories don't usually have happy endings unfortunately. And that's just what it is. So we'll get to Tyreek Hill and the Dolphins and Tua Tunga Viola in just a second. If you're on YouTube, check out the next video. Appreciate you. Let's go. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome back to Subway Sports Talk. Talking Tyreek Hill, talking Tua Tunga Viola. Hopefully you enjoyed some of those picks we got on the March Madness front. Hopefully we got some hits there. You know, Arizona, let's go. Kansas Villanova Moneyline Parlay. How you doing? Miami, we're talking Miami again, 
segue into the Miami football team, the Miami Dolphins, the big time trade that had the world talking about Tyreek Hill going to play with Tua Tonga Viola, leaving Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs and Tyreek Hill uh, parting ways, saying goodbye, saying thank you for your time. And we'll now move on to perhaps greener pastures in Kansas City. I don't know if that's the case. How do you replace a guy like Tyreek Hill? When you look at what the Chiefs just went through over the past year, you feel like they might need Tyreek. And perhaps he was a little banged up here and there. Perhaps the uh, 159 targets that he had were a bit too many for him to hold up the pace that he probably wanted to keep throughout that year. And not like he had a bad year. I mean, by no means did he have a bad year. He had 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns. Tyreek Hill is an absolute stud. We know this, right? He had a couple explosive performances where maybe some of those yards were a little top heavy. But listen, I ain't hating on what happened with Tyreek Hill in Kansas City. And, and now he has this choice, apparently, between the Jets and the Dolphins. And the Chiefs did right by him because the Jets did offer more. But Tyreek Hill wanted to go to the Dolphins. That's the story on the street. And now he's hitching his wagon to a quarterback named Tua Tungaviola. A guy who's 13-8 and eight in his two years as a starter in the league. A guy who has had two different offensive coordinators. A guy who is now going to be on his third head coach. A guy who, you know, McDaniels people seem to like as a coach so far. He hasn't coached a game as a head coach yet. But, right, let's be a little bit optimistic here for a second about Tua and the Dolphins and this newfound situation with Jalen Waddell, Tyree Kill, Mike Gusecki, amongst some other options here on offense for Miami. Two has been winning games. He's 13 and eight. But there are clear setbacks to what he can do as a quarterback at this point in time. These are not setbacks that were always known or always expected to be on a quarterback who we saw absolutely light up the college ranks in a plethora of ways. We're talking quick hitting, accurate passes all day, every day, deep bombs down the field to guys like Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith, amongst others, right? And then all of a sudden, he gets to the NFL. He's banged up after the hip injury in college. He comes in. He wins some games. He's not doing a lot. He's not doing a little. He's kind of just getting by. He's kind of just trying to avoid those mistakes, trying to move the ball, work that uh, defense, and then allow his defense to help the Dolphins win more games. We all know Brian Flores was a successful coach, and perhaps there's Many reasons why he's not currently the coach. Obviously, the, the one being that he's not happy with the ownership down in Miami because of how they handled him and handled the situation and trying to win. We're not going to get into that. It's for a different time. Brian Flores, Flores can win football games as a coach. Where's the credit go? Does the credit just go to the defense? Does the credit just go to Tua being this game manager? Or does he deserve some credit for being a winning quarterback in a league where it's really hard to win games? Again, I said I'm going to be positive here for a second. So here's the case to make this thing work for Tua, Tyreek, and the Dolphins. Talked about him having multiple offensive coordinators to this point. We talked about his injuries. He hasn't had a full season yet in two years. And he had a catastrophic injury towards the end of his college career. So with that being said, I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt to a certain extent. He clearly has the ability to read a defense. He clearly has the ability to throw the ball accurately in the short range. But what he hasn't been able to show is the deep ball accuracy, deep ball ability to even get it out there 
uh, due to possibly bad O-line, again, offensive coordinator issues, even just the talent around him. But there's reason to believe he still has something in him that will allow Jalen Waddle to continue to flourish, to Tyree Kill to continue to be Tyree Kill. Because you got this new coach, you got a new opportunity, you have another year to get healthy, another year to get more comfortable with NFL defensive lines coming on you, right? So there's reasons to believe Tua can turn things around. On the flip side, there are very much so reasons to feel negatively about the outcomes or the outlook for the Miami Dolphins. Part of that has to do with Tua. Part of that has to do with the weird fact that the Kansas City Chiefs wanted to get rid of Tyreek Hill or were just okay with getting rid of Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is going to be in his 28-year-old season. He's had a ton of use, a ton of playoff run in the past four or five years. That's a great thing, right? Experience, veteran at this point in time, a guy who is sure-handed, an absolute burner, a dude who can take a 10-yard slant to the crib. All those things are accurate. But is it not just a little bit fishy that the Kansas City Chiefs are okay with moving off Tyreek Hill without an heir apparent at the wide receiver position? That becomes a little bit sketchy to me. That becomes a little bit curious to me. Now, I'm not saying Tyreek Hill is going to fall off a cliff here, but to think that he's going to have 160 targets, 1,300 yards, double-digit touchdowns is something that's a little bit scarier to bet on, something that's a little bit more unsure to just chalk up for a guy who, for now, four years, five years of his career has been basically a 1,000-plus yards and nearly 10 touchdowns. Combine that with the fact that Tua is struggling to get the ball deep, struggling to find time with a poor offensive line, struggling to stay healthy in general. Should make you nervous if you're a Dolphins fan. Should make you nervous if you're a guy pulling for Tua, which I am. I'm pulling for Tua. He's a guy who I would get behind, a guy who I do root for, but a guy who is sometimes very hard to defend because it's always talking about the world of ifs, always talking about what could be or how it should be and not frequently how it is. So despite the winning record, despite the talented defense, there's question marks here. And here is the big kicker for what makes me nervous about this situation. Jalen Waddle, young, stud wide receiver. Tyree Kill, more middle-aged for wide receiver, stud. Tua, still unproven going into year three. Now, normally, you have a still unproven quarterback going into year three who's had some success, who's had some setbacks, who's had some question marks. You're still in good shape. He's still on the rookie contract. You're not spending money there, so you should, so you, so you should spend elsewhere and bolster that roster. Absolutely, right? But now, if you think about the timeline of the Dolphins, in a world where the Tua experiment does not turn into a second contract, does not turn into enough trust in a franchise to continue calling him the franchise quarterback. Let's look at this. I just mentioned Tyreek Hill is going to be 28. If we go one more year, 
Maybe Tua starts 13 games. He's a little bit healthier, but still misses a couple for injury. Maybe now he's uh, 18, 19 touchdowns instead of the 11 and 16 that he had in the past two years. Still 10 to 12 interceptions because he is still a little bit mistake prone. Even though he seems like this really safe quarterback, he does tend to kind of chuck it up occasionally. So now it's after year four. Tyree Kill is going to be nearly 30. He's going to have a hell of a lot of targets under his belt. Hell of a lot of hits. A lot of mileage on those legs. Is he going to be the receiver that you need him to be when you finally figure out this quarterback position? Because right now, Deshaun Watson, with who knows what's going to happen with suspensions and whatnot, he was talked about as a Miami option. Not happening. As of right now, obviously, he's going to be in Cleveland. Who knows what happens in a year? Where are all these other quarterbacks in the Russell Wilson range, the Aaron Rodgers range, the Deshaun Watson range, even the Matt Ryan range of guys who you can bring in if Tua proves to not be the guy in the next two years? Clearly, that quarterback's not in this draft. At least most people believe he's not. And it doesn't seem like that stud free agent quarterback or quarterback looking for a trade is on the horizon either. So if it happens like it most likely will, where two is probably still in this mid-tier at best, where he's not quite a dude, he's not terrible clearly, they win seven to ten games. What happens next? I spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about Daniel Jones and the Giants and how it might be the best option to rip the Band-Aid off. Because you think about what happens when you keep rolling it out and you keep kicking the tire down the road. You spend other in other places, and by the time you get the quarterback right, those expenditures are getting old. Stilling Shepard can't stay on the field. Saquon Barkley is now not what he once was, even though he's already not that, right? There is no stud receivers. And then by the time you get a quarterback, your books aren't looking good. The salary cap's looking ugly. And then what, right? Or you're starting scratch with another rookie quarterback who's unproven and unsure. That's what would make me the most nervous for a Dolphins fan, for a Tua fan. If it doesn't work out this year, okay. Maybe it's average. Maybe you're still winning eight games. Maybe you're flirting with the playoffs. You have a nice little run. Waddle still looks great. Tyreek is doing some Tyreek things. Kick it down the road one more time. Tua, year four. Ah, extension doesn't feel right. He's not that dude. We got to look for new options. And now you got a rookie quarterback coming in with a 30-year-old Tyreek Hill, a frustrated Jalen Waddle, a coach who's on the hot seat because they're not getting over the hump, even if you like him. And there you go. So if you were to think about the odds, if you're going to think about what's most likely to happen, I think that scenario is unfortunately most likely. Where it's mediocre, it works sometimes, sometimes it's ugly. He's the franchise quarterback today, he's got to go tomorrow, and he ends up right in the middle. By the end of the season, he's still got a winning record, he's got a positive touchdown interception, he's getting a little bit better, he was a little bit healthier this year. Then what? You got to find a new quarterback. You're going to keep rolling with a guy who's probably average. You got this expensive wide receiver who's now frustrated or hanging out by the beach a little too much. 
Unfortunately, I think that's the most likely outcome here. Maybe you think I'm wrong. Maybe you think I, that Tyreek Hill comes in, continues to be a stud, changes the dynamicism of this offense, and goes off. I hope so, man. I really do, because I like Tua. I really like Jalen Waddle, And this team could be a whole lot of fun if they get this thing right and they can push the ball down the field. And we're not just seeing a five-yard air throw from Tua Tango Viola consistently. Because look, look, in, look, look into your heart, right? Even if you love Tua, and I know Dolphins fans who feel this way, it's like, I love Tua. I want him to be the guy. I pull for him so hard. But there's just something, something missing. There's a little bit less juice than he once had, and it's not getting him over any humps. It's unfortunate. Such is life in the NFL. So if it doesn't work with Tua, I don't know who's next for Miami. I don't know who's next for the New York Giants. You might just freaking strike oil or you might just be stuck with a mediocre quarterback winning eight games at most. Might be the case for the Dolphins. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Subway Sports Talk, I appreciate you very, very much. Don't forget to subscribe. Great review on the podcast apps. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit the notification buttons and watch the videos on YouTube. Comment what you think. Is Tyree Kill going to change? the way this Dolphins offense works? Or are we going to be looking for a new quarterback in Miami when Tua continues to just be a little bit too mediocre for what it takes to be a true franchise quarterback in this league? Let me know what you think. Thanks for listening. Peace.